Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 67 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V. Uh, Dave, the Alcadron Vader, is not with us this week. He's out doing some otherworldly type things. So let's see what my co-hosts from opposite coasts are up to. First up, Paul, the Pauper Commander RC member, the Scarecrow. Thanks for filling in this week, and welcome back. How you in? Uh, pretty good. Um... I've actually been pretty rested this week. I didn't get nearly as sleep deprived at Vegas as I did at RIW, so I'm not doing too bad. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of surprising. I feel like I'm just now starting to catch up. Like, I don't really ever have never done like conventions. And whenever I pe- hear people talk about like the the convention hangover, I was just like, ah, whatever, Psh, no big deal. But that's real. That's a real thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think. I think flights like what you had are also just more draining than driving. Yeah, those don't help for sure. Like I was, when I drove back and forth to Detroit, I was less tired than flying back and forth Mm -hmm. to Vegas. There's all these things that you can do to stay energized while driving and you're actively involved in it. Whereas like you just flying on a plane is so much more passive. Right, exactly. All right. Well, as usual, next up is our resident PDH PhD, Liam. How has your week been? My week has been, I'd say, not as entertaining as y'all's because y'all were y'all were in Vegas. <laughs> um, yeah, I got to live vicariously through you two, uh, but it's been it's been aggressively okay. Yeah, we tried to keep people abreast of the Vegas yeah. happenings. Yeah, much appreciated. I was really. I was really thankful for you putting up that Reddit post that got a lot. Oh, of that was huge! Dude, yeah, I didn't even that was huge. Think about was it awesome. until like literally day three. I was like, "Man, no one's posting anything to Reddit." And then I was like, "They're probably all too busy to be thinking about that." Let me post something real quick. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and then it just blew yeah, up. Yeah, that was, that was wild. Awesome. It got way more attention than I was expecting. Yeah, and someone said like, "Oh, uh, Liam's Reddit post is doing really well." I I thought for some reason you posted it to the Popper Commander subreddit, nope. but you posted it to 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 the yes. Magic subreddit. Yep, and it still did really yeah. well. That that was amazing. Between uh, Liam's post and the cards we were handing out at the convention, the subreddit grew by about a hundred people over the weekend. Nice. Holy cow! Yeah, it was it was good. Nice. Yeah, and now that we're uh, everyone is sort of back home from the convention. I've noticed a, a small but measurable bump in the amount of podcast downloads, mm-hmm. like as opposed to our normal numbers. So yeah, Pod yeah. was saying that the site traffic for PDH Home Base was through the roof. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it seemed like people were really involved. Like you hand we handed them, you know, anything with the QR code that takes takes them to the content or the home base or whatever. It seemed like they actually really cared. They weren't just like, oh, okay, cool, thanks, and shove it in their backpack. Like yeah. they were looking at it, they were reading it, they were visibly standing there. Like how many times did someone walk up and scan the QR code on our banner or on your banner on the table uh, while only, we were playing a game? The one like, on the banner, all weekend. Only like twice, I want to say, from what I saw. Uh it was a lot more. We we because we constantly had someone floating around uh that wasn't in a game a lot of times like they would jump on it and be handing them a card and it would focus on that instead of the banner yeah that's so true. that's for, true. Yeah, yeah for those that didn't see any of the pictures on twitter reddit etc um i 
I brought a giant banner that said PopReDH, had a very basic rule summary and had a QR code. And then we also had two different kinds of business cards, some that were real basic white and black, some that were like a command tower proxy that um, Chris from One More Game and I think Papa Popper uh, worked together to have commissioned through uh, Vibe Proxies, I believe it was. Vibe Proxies, yep. Okay, so we had like 1700 business cards that had the same QR code on it as the banner. All that led to a link tree. The link tree had uh, the rules, uh, the home base rules, uh, a bunch of data resources like cpdh.guide and PDH rec. And it had like all the content creators that were there for the weekend. Uh, so we just had a lot of resources for people in a very compact package and it made our lives a lot easier. And I yet. Yeah, I want to say we gave out something like seven or eight hundred over the course of the weekend. Yeah, that sounds about right. And it was nice too because it wasn't like, oh, hey, I'm Brad, and here's the PDH Pod content QR code, or you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> here's the common counter sewer. So it was all together, all in the same QR code, all in the same like area, and it would just take it take the people to all of it. Yep. So one team, one and fight. It, yeah, and your banner was cool too. I don't know what I had expected before you posted the original picture of it, um, but it was a stand-up banner, like a freestanding yep. banner. Because that's what it, it needs. Really retractable and all crowd. that stuff. Yeah, and so many people, like you could see it across the convention hall. It yep. was awesome. Like um, I definitely think some people like made their way across the floor to us because of it. I was very pleasantly surprised. Like some people would wander up and like start to like. Like, yeah, I was looking at this and like, I'd start to be like, oh yeah, here you can borrow a deck. And they're like, no, I already have one. What? That's amazing. (laughs) Like mind blown. So, and I was also pleasantly surprised by the number of people that were like, oh yeah, I've been hearing about this. So word is slowly spreading. It's good. Mm -hmm. We're doing, uh, we're doing our part as the meme says, (laughs) the gif says, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right, we could probably make multiple episodes about Vegas, but before we do that, we need to move on to a little bit of housekeeping, and then we'll get to the main topic. If you like the show and you like what we're doing here, consider supporting us, throwing us a couple bucks on Patreon over at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. By being a patron, you get access to the pre-show, which is usually a short recording of us catching up for the week. This week was actually a little bit longer, so you get like basically a bonus episode. Uh, you get early access to the episode before it goes live, as well as the show notes, so you can sort of follow along with what we're what we're talking about. You get embedded links and all that kind of stuff to check out deck lists or what have you. And then uh, finally, you get access to the PDH Pod Discord server, where you can chat with us, chat with Scarecrow, chat with the crew, with other patron family members uh, to brew decks get help with decks and just kind of good conversation all around and then lastly housekeeping here we're gonna check out our youtube and our patreon channels or not patreon our youtube and our twitch channels there we go uh we're just the pdh pod on both of those and the latter is where i uh stream spell table uh Popper Commander every Saturday evening at around 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, Liam, what do we got for this week in Magic? This week in Magic, there was a Secret Lair Super Drop announced. <gasps> super duper drop. I know, drop. we talked about two Secret Lairs last week. Uh, if you remember, they were Ponies the Galloping 2 and Artist Series John Avon. Uh, we mentioned that the John Avon Lair was part of a Super Drop. We got the rest of the Super Drop. So Yes, we did. Before. Before we actually move into the Super Drop, uh, Littlest Walkers, the third installation of Little Walkers, the little chibi planeswalkers, uh, was, uh-huh. is, was, question mark, available on Hasbro HasCon's <laughs> site. 
So that might be available now, might be in the past. I'm not entirely sure. I don't particularly care. Uh, moving into the Super Drop, <laughs> we have a couple of uh, unique things. We've got some meditation basics, which are very reminiscent of the uh, Kamigawa secret layer that we got two years ago with the, the five legends in it. Uh, it's got that kind of like mm -hmm. uh, Japanese ink style artwork. Uh, I forget what it's called, but um, it's kind of... Ukiyo-e, the woodblock style? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of got a little bit of that to it. Uh, but it's called Meditation Basics. We also get the return of Pixel Basics. It is Pixel Basics 2.0. So that's fun. I think the original Pixel Basics were snow coverts, and these are regular, I think. Mm -hmm. I haven't paid that much attention to them. I have not looked at we those We also much, have yeah. the Universes Beyond Doctor Who secret layer dropping alongside the Doctor Who Commander decks coming up shortly. Yep. That secret layer was the five enemy Fastlands and five random angels reskinned as weeping angels, which is confusing to me because the angel cards they picked have flying, <laughs> and weeping angels don't fly. So it was a sh like it would have been better to put like Daleks on those, which are not <laughs> angels, yeah. but they do fly. Um, <laughs> so it's it's a little bit of a flavor fail, but it's it's okay. We also have universes beyond Evil Dead. Uh, for horror fans, mm -hmm. yes, we have we Universes do. Beyond Creep Show, which took me a while to realize that yes, they were we double-sided cards. But the it the double-sided cards for what site I saw them on, but the layout yeah, was yeah, not the, great. The, exactly the the double-sided cards for single-sided cards, which means like they're not transforming right. cards, they're not Emma DFCs, they're just they're like the cereal box layer where like they put two sides of artwork for whatever reason. And then the one that yeah. I am most personally <laughs> excited about that I didn't even realize was like on the table for Universes Beyond uh, was Princess Bride. Like, yeah, what? right, right. Like, I'm, I'm, I had no idea. I'm not going to be purchasing the Leo uh, because I have no use for the cards. Because my personal interaction with Universes Beyond is I will happily purchase mechanically unique cards, but I would, I would prefer to use in universe versions of cards. That exist. That's sure. just me personally. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I probably will be purchasing one of the Westley singles off the secondary market because a that's Finn the Fangbearer, which is super duper right. playable in PDH. Uh, but b that is also like objectively, factually, just the best character in the movie. So I need that. <laughs> sure. I will not argue yeah, with that. I, I need that. Yeah, it's. Pretty cool. Evil Dead and Princess Bride. Like, those are two of my favorite um, franchises or movies or I'm whatever you want to I'm struggling to so. understand Princess Bride as a choice for the horror themed super drop. I mean, there's. They have the Fire Swamp. They have a torture chamber. Yeah, but like. You get the big rats. But like. <laughs> Somebody comes back from the dead or mostly yeah, dead. The, the mostly dead. I, I don't know. It's it seems okay. I'm just excited it's here. I didn't even realize this was like an option Ooh. for universes beyond. Like, so hey, and Brad. if the and if the Necronomicon is not a bonus card in the Evil Dead secret layer, there's a huge <laughs> failing on Watsy's part. I know. I know it's not in this, but my my ideal Rouse in my head. Do you remember a cruel Grimark from? I think it was All Will Be One. It's like a six drop five five makes everyone makes all opponents discard a card when it ETBs. If they can't, you gain life. But that it's basically it's a rat effect. So just make that a rodent of unusual size. Just reskin it. It's fine. Well, I think they did. There is a rodent of unusual size. The, yeah, there is. I think it's, I right, think it's like right, pack right. rat. 
It okay. is pack rat. Yeah. Yep. Right, but I but I think burglar rat when I think rat. So my ideal in my head, rodent. Oh, I see what you're saying. Is rat. sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And because I think we need more of that in PDH, so you know. Yeah. And for anybody, right. anybody wondering, you can pre-order the Littlest Walkers, and they ship approximately on March first of twenty twenty-four. <laughs> they'll they'll ship before then. Has that's they... just a that's just a placeholder. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I hope. <laughs> I hope <laughs> that's what says. That's what Hasbro Pulse says. Oh, if it's Pulse, it might actually ship on March twenty fourth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I'm worried about. But well, not worried about it because I don't think I'm getting it. But for those of you that are, there's that. Uh, it looks like okay. So the false super drop is live currently. Uh, it's live for the next four days and seven hours as of this recording. So when you're listening to this, it's live for the next two and a half ish days yeah the other super drop the one we just talked about the 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 halloween spooky creep show super drop i assume that will go live when this one ends or like shortly thereafter yeah because this yeah makes this, sense. the fall one should end on october 1st and i remember seeing october 2nd a lot so yeah okay cool you have to keep an eye out for that for not to order one like you said but to know when they actually hit yeah. the market so I can pick up a couple a couple singles. Cool. I think we wanted to sort of continue this week in magic. Uh, just sort of briefly, not make a whole episode about it, but sort of briefly touching on Vegas. I know we did a little bit already, but uh, Scarecrow. Liam, sadly, was not there Sadness. with us. But Scarecrow was there. And uh, what, what sort of, if you could sum it up into... Uh, six or seven bullet points what sort of stood out to you about the whole the whole weekend you, you got there were you there when they opened on friday uh no i got there like t- two or three hours later um so ruffigan okay. got there right when they were opening but then he went to the wrong end of the convention center and was wandering around and shepherded a large oh. group of also lost people uh to <laughs> to the correct ev- entrance eventually so nah. everyone ended up getting together about i want to say one and converge on a table set up the banner but um highlights between the pals and me we gave away 14 decks i gave away six pals gave away eight including they gave one to bobby christine the writer for community college so that's really cool Uh, and it was it was cool i mean that's awesome in of itself like giving away decks to people to play or new to the format however you wanted to do it but it's cool that like you guys weren't just like building crap decks and giving him away like i heard the pals say and i've heard you say like well i gave that deck away now i gotta rebuild it yeah like, like i've got they rebuild. were decks you actually enjoyed playing like they're good decks fun decks they weren't mm-hmm. just some like crap that you know you just threw together yeah so that was really impressive i've got to rebuild loyal guardian and gorex for example yeah there you go mm-hmm. um and then on top of that i got in a million games like i know you said you went and walked around because you just needed a break because it was overwhelming yeah. <laughs> and i was just jamming games constantly i played with lobber three different pal four different pals um clay ryan ruffigan um brandon i got to meet for the first time uh the lotus guy on twitter but brandon uh, used to do common knowledge with lobber that's where i was introduced to both of them and i finally got to meet him and played a cpdh game with those two and brad and had a blast so that was yeah. one of the highlights of my weekend um there were also several uh, there were a few other twitter users uh, met spectacles in blue and maximum magic and played with them uh there were also several discord 
people that were there from like home base and the other various PDH discords, uh, North Dakota are, I think I already mentioned them. Um, and then kelp and spooky bowler or bowler man. So I think that's everyone I can remember from the online. Oh, and, uh, Chris Obosh, um, Obosh likes juice. Uh, Chris from One More Game, and then Chev and Jules from the Hex Drinkers. They were all around, but I didn't get any games with them. So uh, yeah, I've met ev- all of them except for Jules. Jules, I didn't get to see, so that's still on my to do list. He's elusive. He's an elusive one. I get yeah. that. Does he have Shroud? <laughs> he can't be the target. Possibly. Of Possibly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then another cool thing was Mythic Gaming TV. Uh, I keep bumping into them on YouTube uh, in the searches I regularly do. They've been doing, I want to say it's like one PDH uh, game gameplay that they put out once a month. And mm-hmm. they were handing out these art sleeves that had their logo on it to promote their channel. And I got some of those and got to talk with them briefly and thank them for doing PDH content. So that was cool. Yeah, I also have one of those sleeves. It's pretty yeah, sweet. They were pretty um, sweet. Halloween themed. Really cool looking. Yeah, like pumpkins and stuff on them. Yeah, but cool. the absolute crown jewel was getting to meet Gavin Duggan. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I don't know. I never heard it said. Yeah, Duggan or Dugan. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure either, actually. But from Big EDHRC, sounds like he is now like the senior man in charge. Um, and we got me, Clay, and Ruffkin got quite a bit of time to talk with him. And also, I got to play a game against him. I'm, I don't remember who else was in that game, but I was on Maverick Thopterist and Gavin was on, I think it was the Pals Regal Leosaur. Is that the Mutate Anthem Boros Commander? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it was, I want to say like turn five, turn six, and Gavin just pounded me for 28 damage. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Yep. Yeah. I, I was on two life for the rest of the game and eventually died. <laughs> oh, no, it was it was a good game. It, it actually ended up being pretty dang close to the end. It was very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, you guys talked to him for a while. It was it was really good conversation. Yeah, so we met back up with him on Sunday, and actually, instead of just like playing PDH, we actually stood around and talked a bunch of RC stuff with him, and yep. it was an absolute blast. Like I've definitely had my share of uh, like imposter syndrome about being on an RC or even just like writing stuff for Magic in the past, and. Mm-hmm. Just the contact with, I, I guess, the higher-ups in the magic world, um, it helped dispel a little bit of that. But, you know, now now any negativity of, you know, am I really fit to be doing this is instead replaced with, oh, God, I need to do all the things. <laughs> right. I need to do more now. <laughs> yeah. So, right. yeah, it, it was fantastic. It, um, if I had to sum up the whole weekend just humanizing the community things that were words on a page before our actual living breathing people and that's just an incredible experience and anyone who hasn't been to a big tournament or convention like i never had before this year i made my first tournament was riw and this was my first convention and it has been just a complete change in worldview and i would highly recommend it to anyone that gets a chance it's incredible yeah, if, even if you have no name or brand for yourself that you're trying to promote just go and experience the gathering it's amazing yeah it, it really is i this was really my first one too except for like local events or what have you but mm-hmm. um you know like lgs run events but yeah it was my first one it was just you're right you, you have to experience it. it is completely um 
I, I'm the type of person that, you know, I, I love concerts and I love crowds and I love doing stuff and I love, you know, going to, you know, whatever bars and hanging out with the public and meeting people. But this was like a totally different and overwhelming experience at the same time. It, I just was not mentally prepared for it at all in a, in a, in a good way in like the best possible way. I was not prepared so for it. I'm correct in hearing that both of you for your first time going to a large magic event chose to go to Vegas. Yes. Yep. 100%. I mean, smoke them if you got Bold. them, right? It's what was right. Name, Bold <laughs> move. <laughs> yep. So I'm, I'm saying yeah. this as the only uh, magic event I've ever attended as a participant was Command Fest DC in 2019, right before COVID. Uh, had plans mm-hmm. to go to like two or three more throughout 2020 uh, and then didn't. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and every event I've attended since then throughout uh, 21 and 22, I judged. So mm. judging has gotten me to go to a lot of these events and, and gotten used to the atmosphere a bit. But as an, as a, an attending, as an attendee, attendant, attending, participant, mm-hmm. as a participant, that's the word I was looking for. Um, <laughs> not even the right letter. Uh, as a participant, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a, a different experience. Yeah, it really is. And it's, it was hard to, like, I guess I didn't, I don't know what I thought I expected at all. But like, it was the overwhelming part for me was like, I was there as a first time MTG convention attendee or participant, if you will. And I was also there as someone who loves being in Vegas. I haven't been in Vegas in in many, many years. So it was good to be back there. And I was also there as someone trying to network, you know, with, with other content creators and other people and grow the format and grow the fan base, that sort of thing. But I was also there as like an MTG celebrity fanboy. Like I wanted to meet other <laughs> content creators and like for the whole time I've had this, my, my popper uh, Twitter account, I, I don't have multiple social social media accounts. Like I don't hop all over the place. So like the years that I've had this account, like everyone I interact with is like my little online family, my friends and family and everything. So like to get to see a very large percentage of those people in person was just like something I wasn't just like emotionally prepared for at all. Yeah. So it was just, there were so many different directions I was trying to go at once. It was just sort of like, like I said before, it was just overwhelming and kind of exhausting, but like in the very best possible way. So you and Clay and Ryan all knew these people much better than I did. Like I was not prepared at all for the like the magic personalities being everywhere. Mm-hmm. I went with kind of the same idea in my head as I do on the internet. I'm the grassroots outreach person. I just wanted to talk to regular old players and play games mm-hmm. with them and talk. And I was kind of like oh here's you know insert celebrity here i don't know enough about them to feel like i can carry on a real conversation oh no what do i do and then clay yeah. just swoops in and saves the day and makes small talk just like oh no my introverted side is, yeah that clay out. definitely has that gift he has that <laughs> gift for sure I, I i don't necessarily have that gift i mean i guess it depends on how how like the introduction goes but mostly it was just like i'd walk up shake their hand be like this is my account sometimes you know maybe 25% of the people of the celebrities or would personalities like recognize my Twitter handle. Most of them didn't. Mm-hmm. And then based on how that introduction went, I would just either like ask them to sign my play mat and then move on or ask them to sign my play mat. And then like, Oh, we're over at the 
Pauper EDH table. This is what we're doing. Cause you know, I had the cre- content creator badge. So right, they would right. like look at my name tag and then they would look at the badge to be like, Oh, you're here as a creator. What do you do? And then that's when the door would open and we talk for a few minutes or whatever. So I always kind of let them lead the conversation. Like, I don't want to hold them up. I'm not like that type of person, but like I saw, if I saw the window opening, I would stand there and talk to them about mm-hmm. it. I just kind of left feeling like I need to do more homework before next year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, but yeah, that was really cool to see all these people in person for sure. It was awesome. Uh, So yeah, that wraps up the Vegas half of the show. I guess we can move on to the actual main topic, which was surprise, not Vegas. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Oops. So at, in our never-ending quest to understand all the different archetypes and all the different strategies we have in our little Pauper Commander format, we are going to do another 3x3. Three three. We're going to continue that series with an episode on big mana decks. Uh, if you're new to our 3x3 three three and sometimes 4x4 four four style of episode, it's where we decide on an archetype and then each member of the episode or each host of the episode chooses a different commander that fits that archetype. Uh, this sort of we, we like this because it, it shows different aspects, how we like to brew decks. It gives all the listeners out there a little bit of insight into the strategies that are possible and just see how all these different decks and play styles sort of like like pan out. Um, and sometimes they lead to like drastically different decks, which is nice. Uh, we've done quite a handful of these already. So if you want to go back through the back catalog of episodes, definitely check those out. Uh, but before we introduce the commanders that we've chosen, I think we need to talk about some pillars. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your boy, Alcadron. I am coming to you live on a pre-recorded line that is in every way the opposite of live. Nothing about this is live. This is far from live because both at the time of recording this podcast and... At the time when this podcast gets uploaded to the internet and becomes available for download, for that entire span of time, I am going to be having the time of my life in the woods in Connecticut, miles away from the nearest internet. Uh, I will be doing perhaps the only event that I think is more fun than magic. Uh, It's called Otherworld, and you should check it out. It's a really good time. I'm going to tell you all about that next week, but first. I'm going to tell you about some pillars. As we go through these pillars, I'm going to give you quick examples from the deck that I would be telling you all about if I were there with you right now. Uh, This is my very favorite big mana deck. It is Elena, which is a five mana red partner commander with the ability to tap to add an amount of red mana equal to the greatest power among creatures that have entered the battlefield under your control this turn. And Brinolin, who has a lot of text on her, but the salient bit is that she is a 6-power, 8-mana creature. So, Pillar 1 for the big mana event has to be, obviously, making absurd, nutty, obscene piles of mana. Uh, You have to... In, you have to find some way to get reliably get just big fat stacks absurd like regularly 20 plus mana in a turn uh that's that's pillar one in elena and brindlin i'm just gonna play a seven power creature i'm gonna tap elena for seven mana and then i'm gonna untap her a couple times that's that's it that's the whole play untap her a few times 
30 mana. Easy. Pillar 2. Once you have 30 mana, you have to have something to do with 30 mana. You can't just get 30 mana and then play a Wrecking Beast, or you spend 9 of it on a Depth Charge Colossus, and the rest of your 20 mana goes to waste. There has to be some way you can capitalize on spending 30 mana all in one turn. So this is going to be things like Fire Breathing, or capsize if you're a monster or uh sprout swarm if you're in green just any anything that will let you spend all of that mana very efficiently so none of it's going to waste pillar three obviously how to not die uh elena and brinolin doesn't do this really there's uh some blockers, I guess. I guess that's what Brinolin is for. She, there's text on Brinolin. You can read it yourself. Uh, pillar 4, how to not run out of gas. This is going to be really crucial in these big mana decks because if you're generating 30 mana and you don't have a great way to, to efficiently spend 30 mana in a turn you're just going to blow through your whole hand in one turn and the next turn you'll try to generate 30 mana and you'll have nothing to do with it so you need to pillar four is super crucial in these big mana decks you need to find ways to spend the mana that advance your board state are letting you you know efficiently and not wastefully spend that 30 mana but also leave you with actions that you can use continually into the late game invokers are really good for this how to not run out of gas plan rush of knowledge puts in a lot of work when you have an eight mana blue commander so these are the four pillars some of them are familiar some of them are new i am going to turn it back over to brad and liam and paul so that they can tell you in extraordinary detail how their decks are going to do these pillars and uh i'll catch you later well, thanks for that, Dave. Uh, Scarecrow, just so everyone sort of knows what we're doing here this week, do you want to give the listeners some episode, uh, some examples of big mana, big mana commanders that we're not actually going to talk about? Sure. So I have no idea what Dave just said in his opening, so I'm just going to hope I don't overlap with him. <laughs> so in general, big mana decks, a lot of times the commander is either a source or an outlet for the mana. And by outlet, I mean a way to use that mana. Yeah. Um, so some examples of sources, uh, Mahadi creates treasures whenever creatures die. Great Desert Prospector creates, I think it's power stones for each creature you control. Draga Tree yep. Speaker is just a big mana dork that you level up to create more mana. It's kind of self-explanatory. They make more mana. You have all the ways to use it in your 99 and it simplifies deck construction a bit. Similarly, you can have your commander be an outlet and not a producer at all. Um, to where you have your 99 be, being much more focused on making the mana. So the outlet is a little trickier. It can take a lot of different forms. Like even just card advantage can be an outlet. Like uh, Thunderous Snappers, Sicarian Infiltrators, uh, Species Gorger. You're constantly playing 
the cards that are going back in your hand. So that is really mana intensive, especially if you're also trying to hold up some kind of interaction at the same time. Uh, another example of an outlet would be like repeatable abilities. Like all of the guild mages have these abilities that cost three, four, yeah. five mm -hmm. mana to activate. So that's extremely mana intensive. You need a lot of ramp to activate those again and again and again, maybe even while playing stuff from your hand. Um, Halana is a repeatable triggered ability. So whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you can pay two to have it deal damage equal to its power to target creature. Hopefully that's right. It's all off the top of my head. But when you're paying, you know, three, six, seven mana for whatever green creatures you have, that two additional mana is actually a pretty big ask, especially if you're playing multiple creatures in a turn in the mid game. So that is another commander that that benefits hugely from ramp. And then Slimefoot is the last repeatable ability example. Just pay for to create a sapperling, and you can just do it again and again and again. Yeah, it's not a tap ability. Yep. yep. So, and then the last category uh, that's a good example of a pure outlet is just big, expensive commanders, like a Plated Crusher, just big hexproof Voltron threat, uh, yep. Slin Voda when it ETBs bounce everything that's not, you know, kind of like Sea Monster Tribal or Merfolk, um, and <laughs> yep. then Dragon Mage, uh, big 7-drop 5-5 five, five flyer wheels every time it connects with a player. So these big, expensive commanders, you need a lot of ramp to not only play them the first time, but replay them again if they're removed. Um, yeah, actually played against Dragon Mage uh, on Sunday, and it's always a blast to play against. Like, yep. granted, I had to discard a really good hand to draw six lands, but it's still fun. Like, we don't, we just don't have that effect, and it's really cool to see it like in action. And it, I don't know if it's just the way that a typical Dragon Mage deck would work, but um, Sniff's version of Dragon Mage, it just, it's so powerful. Like, it does so yeah. much damage just sort of out of nowhere. Like the ninety nine has damage spread throughout it. The commander itself does damage. Like it's just it's it's a really cool deck if you like big mana, big giant stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Sniffs is like pretty stereotypical for what a good powerful dragon mage deck looks like. It's a little okay. it's a little fragile if the dragon mage gets removed before it attacks the first time. But as soon as Wh you which it did, hand, which it did, yeah. Oh yeah, but as soon as you refill your hand once, you are off to the races. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So those are just some um, examples of what we're not going to get into, but just so you sort of know, like, um, what the rest of the episode is going to hold for you. So uh, I think we'll get into the section here where we introduce what commanders we are picking to talk about. Uh, why don't you start us off, Liam? You haven't said anything in a little while. Yeah. Uh, so the commander that I have brought to today's episode is Ovia. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Ovia, Ovaya. Avaya. Sounds good to me. Uh, it is. It, it, they are from originally from Kaladesh block. They were yep. downshifted in Commando Masters. Uh, they are Avaya Pashari Sage Lifecrafter. So they cost a single green mana. The one two human artificer. Uh, you can pay two and a green to tap them and create a 1-1 one, one colorless servo artifact creature token, or you can pay four and a green to tap them and create an XX colorless construct artifact creature token where X is the number of creatures you control. So kind of like a construct, but counts sure. creatures, not artifacts. Yeah, that's fair. I am running this mono green commander as clearly a, a ramp commander. Uh, I did have a small list, but 
it was laughably incomplete. So I'm actually using Paul's <laughs> list for Ovaya. Nice. Yeah. Nice. We brought Paul on. I figured I'd steal his deck. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Is, this is another one that I gave away at Vegas. Oh, nice. It, Perfect. It definitely beat me the one time I got to see it played. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Naturally. <laughs> um, just double checking my memory. Um, Ovia's tokens, the big ones that she makes, mm-hmm. those set their power and toughness when they enter the battle. When they enter the battlefield, right? Oh they God, you're asking me. Uh, sh- <laughs> asking me a rules question like that on the spot. Uh, I feel like they should scale, but let me double check. I want to say Urza's scale. I'll go pull it up for wording reference. Yeah, this is XX, like where X is the number of creatures. Yeah, I feel okay, like okay. it's set I'm looking when at, you cast it. Yeah, I'm looking at the templating now, right. Uh, they The the tokens do not have the ability. Via has okay. the ability. So when you create yep. the token, whatever X is, that's what it is. It does not change. Whereas the constructs have the ability, they, they will change. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Urza's have this creature gets plus one plus one free charge effect you control. Right. Yep. Yeah, if it said create a... Uh, artifact creature token, token with with power and toughness equal to the number of creatures you control. Yep. Would that be different? That would, would that be, be what you're looking for. Yep, that's okay. that's kind of how uh, the constructs are awarded. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. But yeah. So so yeah, you're right. When whenever you activate Ovia's second ability to create the XX, whatever X is at time of resolution, that is what it will be. Cool. So I didn't build the deck Sound. around the wrong idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a concern of mine. It is worth noting that the ability is going to check on resolution, not entering the battlefield. So the token mm. cannot count itself. If Ovia is wow. your only creature and you activate this ability, you are making a 1-1 one, one for 5 mana. Uh, which means that if they, if you put this ability on the stack and then your opponent removes Ovia in response, your only creature, you will make a 0-0. Zero, zero. Well, wow. if, That's if your board's that empty, you're just using her top cheaper ability to create a one-one, though, aren't you? Correct. Well, probably. Yes. Yeah. I'm just. But I'm not good at magic, so. Yeah, I'm. I'm also bad <laughs> at magic, so I. I. I, I just want to just put that out there for the people that are equally bad as ma- at magic. Right. That, one of us. Yeah. One of us. <laughs> yeah. So so, ideally, you're using the X ability when X would be four or five. That way, you're making a five and a five-five. Uh, sure, but it is it is relevant to know that it is checking upon resolution, not upon entering. That, that is good to know, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fun commander. Nice. Yeah, that is a fun commander. Good downshift. Uh, good downshift. Scarecrow, what are you bringing this week? So I have the current iteration of my first real PDH deck I ever brewed. Um, whenever I was entering the format in 2018, there was little to no card advantage. Even I mean. Blue always has divinations, but I've never been that much of a spell slinger type. Sure. So, so I was just like, how do I not run out of gas in a format with no card draw? And <laughs> I just picked up Savage Ventmaw and I'm like, I can put that mana in, put it on at everything. And the deck back then looked like a ton of fire breathing creatures. The idea was every single card I draw, if I put enough mana into it, it will be a threat. So right. who needs. Who needs card draw when every every card can end the game? Sure. Um, it is a very different deck now. Uh, nowadays, um, it is just kind of big green Timmy things, but faster yeah. because red. Um, <laughs> because red. Introduces, red. <laughs> yeah, it, it, red introduces a lot of uh, unpredictability and um, faster tempo 
that really just is what the deck needs to ever win. If it were just big green with the same amount of ramp, I don't think it would win half as much. Um, the red, like, this is one of the decks, between this and just talking to Alcadron, PDH made me love red in a way that EDH never did. And just this deck's tempo is a big part of that. Um, so going back to what we said earlier about some creatures are a source for mana, some uh, some commanders are a source, some commanders are a payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, so Liam's is obviously purely a payoff. It's not producing mana, but it can use quite a bit to create these tokens. Right. Ventmaw is oddly both an outlet in that it's expensive to cast, and especially if you have to cast again, and it's also a source because it generates six mana when it attacks. I guess I should uh, actually describe the card. So Ventmaw is a six mana, six, six, four, a red and a green. Four, four. Right. Four, four flyer. <laughs> and then when it attacks, you generate three red and three green mana, and that mana doesn't go away till end of turn. Yep. So six mana is a ton. People oh my use god, it in it's so many. It's yeah, so many. people use it in EDH for like infinite combat steps. Yeah. But uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that's all I wanted to do for the intro. Sure. So it does both. It does both. Um, used to be a very different deck. Big Timmy things. Red for tempo and unpredictability. Yeah, makes sense to me. Sounds good. Can't wait to see what you... Uh, well, actually, I've seen what you put together. I've almost lost to it. Uh, <laughs> can't, can't wait to hear you talk about it. Uh, so lastly, my deck here. I went ahead and um, I had, I've had i had so much fun. You mentioned it earlier, Thunderous Snapper. I've had so much fun playing that deck that I thought sort of um, a big mana a big mana version in the command zone that that is sort of similar would be something that I'd want to bring for this episode. So I chose Battery Bearer from the Brothers War. It's two green blue for a three four human artificer. It says creatures you control have tapped to add uh generic mana. Or is it colorless? Does it matter? It's wingding, whatever the wingding is. Uh this mana can't be spent to cast a non artifact spell. And then also it has whenever you cast an artifact with mana value six or greater, you draw a card. So I'm very interested in both of those lines of text. Uh, Thunderous Snapper draws you a card off mana value 5 or greater. And, you know, mathematically they're one apart, 5 and 6. But in the game of Magic, it feels like they're worlds apart. 5 and 6 mana, like it feels like a huge hurdle to go from one to the next. But um, I think in a deck like this, it could be pretty easy. Because it turns all of your creatures into mana dorks for artifacts. And it doesn't, and the card doesn't specify you can't spend that mana on activated abilities. So I plan on doing a lot of that as well. Uh, it's a payoff for casting massive artifact spells because it'll pay you back. It'll put another card in your hand. And then really, I'm just trying to do big stompy things while drawing cards and generating all this value off off my commander. And thanks to the Battery Bear's ability, I can also put a little bit of affinity, uh, affinity silliness into the deck as well, which which I'm a fan of in PDH. I mean, I'm kind of a fan of it everywhere, but uh, it's super fun, especially in Simic in 100 car singleton format. So that's pretty much what I'm up to. And since we're all super familiar with the uh, with the pillars now, Liam, do you want to start us off with pillar one? How are you going to make all this mana to make these tokens? Yeah, so my mono green deck is very classically mono green. It is classic green stompy, uh, with a little bit of extra token artifact payoff in the command zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideally, we're looking at... Well, that's that's actually how to use the mana. Uh, but ideally, we're looking at a primary payoff existing in the command zone, uh, leaning into the traditional stats 
the traditional strategies, strats, mm-hmm. uh, strats. of <laughs> yeah of big hawks. So how do we get there, right? How to make mana to to play Ovia to activate her ability and to make these big hawks? Right. Lots of dorks. We need lots of dorks. Lots of land untappers, and we want to pair those land untappers with land auras. So some decks, depending on you know how you're building this, uh, might have your your typical ramp spells, rampant growth, cultivate, Kodama's reach. But you could actually forego a lot of those by putting in uh, dorks and untappers and these land auras. Uh, they tend to be a little bit lower to the ground. They tend to not be dead cards later in the game. Because uh, a lot of the land yeah. auras will come with extra abilities, like they'll gain you life or they'll draw you a card. A mm-hmm. lot of the dorks can be chump blockers if absolutely needed to be. So these cards tend to be a a slightly more, uh, I don't know if optimized is the word I'm looking for, but a, a flexible, right, a slightly more flexible pick. But yeah, so these cards will create the powerful potential needed in the early turns to get lots of mana. Well, mono green, the goal is mana. Yep. And this particular list has one actual mana dork in it, uh, six land untappers, and nine land sotras. So these are going to be creatures that come into play off of all of our mana that just go get us more mana. Uh, and it also has five mana auras, which kind of rounds out this ramp package. So nice. just one note about the land searchers. Part of the reason there's so many land searchers is because there are some of the auras and some of the untappers that are picky. They can only target forests or they can yep. only target snowlands. Yeah. So the nine land searchers is largely because four you need second. to go get one of the one of the four snow forests that are in the deck. Snow forest does everything you need, and I didn't want to put twenty of them in because snowlands <laughs> are expensive. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. It's it's is Liam the Yargle this week? I mean, mine and yours decks are more similar because we've got both a source and an outlet in the command zone because you've got some card draw. Right? I so think, maybe? I, I, yeah, I think Avia's the, uh, the Yargle. I think picking the Yargle this week is a little strange because... We're all big green. Well, we're, we're, yeah. we're, all, <laughs> Kinda, yeah. we're all big green. And you know, if, if someone approached the, the big mana ramp episode with a red-white deck, I'd say, yeah, that's the Yargle. Um yeah, but right, this exactly. Copa guild mage would have been the Yargle. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And and so so all big green, which makes it a little harder to pick one. But I think the fact that you two have the the I don't want to say more powerful commanders because Ovia can definitely can definitely pack a punch. Oh, for uh, sure. The the more classical mono green Stompy, where you have yeah. the the enabler and the payoff kind of wrapped into one card and mine is simply more of an edh style right more of an edh style more of an edh style stompy deck whereas mine is if it were to be played in edh it would 100 percent be a combo deck sure yeah and in pdh we just don't have the pieces that make it a combo deck so it turns back into stompy and yeah i feel like i might be the yuggle but only because you two are more normal yeah, if you were just to tell someone I'm playing a big mana deck, they would picture a dragon. green something. <laughs> yeah, a dragon. They would picture like Simic doing stupid ramp stuff. Right. Like, yeah. So just kind of a kind of historical and structural note. Um, the reason I broke up the examples into strictly source and strictly 
outlet is because it used to be far, far more necessary to do that when we had less card advantage and fewer f- uh, flexible modal cards mm-hmm. in the format. Sure. So, like, back then, if you had something like Ventma that needed, like, by having both an outlet and a source in the command zone, it means you have to similarly have many, many sources and many, many outlets in the 99. And it makes you a lot more open to drawing the wrong number of things at the wrong time, which mm-hmm. is the very, very classic ramp stomp problem. This time I drew all dorks and no beaters, or this time I drew all beaters and there's nothing for me to do on turns one through four. Um, so the classic solution to that structural consistency problem was to very clearly divide it. My 99 is almost all ramp and my command zone is taking care of all the payoff or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Right. So Liam's is actually kind of a yargle because it is the classical example. Whereas mine and Brad are getting enabled by a lot newer, fancier stuff. I like, I like new and shiny. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, Paul scarecrow. How's your big dragon making all this mana? Well, uh, lots of dorks, kind of like Liam. And then I've got a smattering of rocks, land ramp, and land auras. So total, I have 19 ramp cards in the deck. Nice. Quite a few. Um, I used to be all in on the dorks plan, and then I would use a lot more like red temp anthems to pump the board and use them as a secondary win con. But Like your over bur- time, burn brights and stuff like that? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, but ones that are repeatable activated abilities. Oh, okay. Okay, I gotcha. There's still one in the deck. We'll visit that later. But the point is I used to have a lot more dorks, and I've been moving away from that over time because we've gotten better and more frequent sweepers mm-hmm. that threaten the dork plan more. So that's why I've got mixed in uh, land auras, uh, specifically the one-drop ones, and then a few rocks that also give me some repeatable value. So... The, it's kind of decreasing vul- vulnerability or giving flexibility or value sure. from these non-dork creatures. Um, and then, in addition to the dorks, there's also Ventmaw. Ventmaw is a massive, yeah. <laughs> massive mana source. Like the yeah, point huge. Of, the point of all the other ramp in the deck is to make sure Ventmaw can always be on the field again. Yeah, and, and you can pay the commander tax a few times. Yep. And then, really, what the deck needs is all that ramp plus vent Maw, and that gives just the ridiculous amount you need for everything the deck loves to do yep 100 percent. that's all i got right on well uh battery bear in, in the early turns i'm just trying to ramp as hard as i can to get my commander online as soon as possible because i can kind of do the stuff i want to do with just the 99 but without the commander online it's uh, a lot harder probably a lot less uh successful and then once uh, she's online, then I'm just going to use my creatures to pay for more creatures, basically. Uh, even I even uh, made a couple slots for like Ornithopter and Phyrexian Walker, a couple zero drops to just um, turn those into mana dorks like instantly. They're going to help out with this plan. And also it doesn't hurt that they're artifacts to go along with my affinity nonsense. So um, the plan basically here is to just snowball from mana rocks, um, a, a mana dork or two, and ramp spells into hitting cards like Maelstrom Colossus earlier than should normally be possible. Um, It doesn't hurt that I have a few creatures that make additional bodies that can eventually tap for mana, like Bastion Inventor, Accomplished Automaton, that sort of thing. Like, that's going to be 
you know, for one creature, I'm going to get two bodies that'll tap for mana that'll help me cast this Maelstrom Colossus on five or whatever. Like that's the whole point here is just to do silly stuff with my artifacts, get them into play as quickly as possible and use those artifacts. Just, just do fun affinity stuff for my other big creatures that I want to get onto the battlefield, you know, and I've got stuff like Shardolin Dragon for six, just, straight up artifact dragon four four flyer like those are the things i want to get on board the turn that battery bearer comes into play or the turn at, you know no later than the turn after my commander comes into play that's the things i want to do uh, so i've just got all this ramp all these sort of small creatures that will instantly turn into mana dorks for my artifacts as soon as battery bearer hits the hits the table so it feels like a lot of setup but once Battery Bear is online, I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. So that's generally, as long as my board stays full, I'll have mana mana for days, as they say. Feels like one of those decks that really is just banking on we never get an artifact sweeper in this format ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> this deck would never be played. Yeah, totally. I mean, on the upside, if we do ever get one, it's probably not likely to see a ton of play because look, uh, how often we see the enchantment wipes, even with things like Seder Enchanter around. Yeah. Almost never. Yeah, you really don't. <laughs> no, not unless they're like, for some reason, part of your meta. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even yeah. though there is one with cycling, one of the enchantment wipes. Yeah, there's cycling. There's, uh, isn't Luma Thread Field, isn't that a free one? Or am I thinking of something else? Uh, Luma Thread Field is the uh, morph um, plus Zero plus one anthem, I thought. Oh, Patrician Scorn. That's it. That's the one. Oh, yeah. That's the free one. Yeah, that's the free one. Like, we have stuff like that, and they just don't really see play. But, like, a lot of players really want to blow up the lands of the competitive player that have the land auras on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. It's such a weird you can dynamic. Do that with a cantrip. Right. Exactly. All right. Sweet. Uh, let's move on to pillar two here. Let's start again with Liam. So, you got all this mana. How are you going to use it? What are you going to do with it? Yeah, so like I was mentioning uh, with Ovia, the goal is the primary goal is to use her abilities, and then with with secondary goals existing within the deck. So plan sure. R for Ovia, uh, <laughs> not forcing that at all, <laughs> is to play no, all. Uh, Ovia and hope you get the chance to use her own abilities to create a few token creatures. Plan B for backup is not the mechanic, but the type Ooh, of plan. I see what you're doing here. Uh, Ovia <laughs> ain't walking out. Uh, she's getting removed a bunch. You don't have the mana. Uh, so we're just going to go play some of the, the, the big hawkers that are in the deck and just turn them sideways, smash some faces. Uh, yep. Classic mono green. And then plan C for can't make nothing else walk uh, is oh, we, have a little, nice. we have a little bit of life gain and there's a little bit of interaction to buy yourself some time to reattempt plans uh, A and B. Plan I, I love that naming convention. That's yeah. amazing. I, I love that Ovia, her, her first ability costs three. Her second ability costs five. Scales up she's a one-drop commander. Like mm. it's, Removing her is useless. Right. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Completely useless because your deck is going to make all this mana. So what if she costs seven or nine or whatever? Like It's just not going to matter at, at, yeah. at any point in the game, really. Nope. <laughs> so that's yeah, like, huge. I, I, I didn't really I realize that until today. If you need a chump blocker later in the game, throw Avia under the bus and then sure. make a token after blocks are declared. Yeah, yeah, yeah throw Avia out there, tap five, 
make a big old token and then just recast her the next turn or whatever. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't realize she was so cheap. All right. So where are we at here? Pillow 2. Uh, how is Savage Ventmaw going to use all this mana? So I mentioned earlier that red is really, really important to this deck for tempo. Um, a lot of ramp stomp decks are really late game focused because in the mid game they're just trying to get their first beater out to kind of stabilize the board against any aggro threats to stop chip damage that way they can really build up to this critical mass of offensive might that right. they need on yep. in play well Ventmod he doesn't care about that no you give him haste and you get such a massive tempo swing that you are a mid-game deck not an end-game deck and it is absolutely incredible you that are is the beat down. that is the absolute best way to put it like i i built Ventmaw quite a while not quite a while ago i think you and i were talking about it on twitter i went ahead and built it it's a super blast to play and that's exactly what it feels like you're like oh i'm at turn five or six i can cast Ventmaw. Uh, for some reason, you know, I got whatever on board and it has haste. Like I just became, you're right, that mid game deck. Like you look at yeah. the commander and you look at the rest of the 99, you're like, oh, okay, this is going to take it into the long game, get all these creatures on board, overwhelm everybody. But you're not. You're like, turn six, here we go. Like, let's party right now. Turn six, those are rookie numbers. Uh, right. So, <laughs> so because I have 19 sources of ramp in the deck, turn four Ventmaw is oh, not just doable, but <laughs> the relatively common. Yeah. yeah. And, like, if you want to hold up mana for interaction, okay, turn five. Right. But the even better thing is when you can give them haste. So, like, turn one, ramp or haste source. Turn two, more ramp. Turn three, I don't know, whatever you didn't do already. So the point is two pieces of ramp and a haste source the first three turns. And then you play Ventmaw turn four, swing with them, and then you have six mana to use second main phase to play, I don't know, more ramp, more beaters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it okay. gets online so fast. <laughs> when you put 10 power on the board on turn four, it you can make God jealous. Yeah, when a lot of that is flying. Yeah, it's, it's so good. Yeah. And I have six sources of haste in the deck. So some of them are creatures that stick around, uh, Battle Rampart, Crashing Drawbridge, Stirring Bard, Tuck Tuck, Rubble Fort. Um, and then one of them is an old popper, 60-card popper standby, Dragon Breath. Um, oh, heck yeah. That hangs out in your grave, and then whenever you play a large creature, it pops out. So it's good for not just Vent Mob, but other creatures. You know, playing Ulamog's Crusher, out pops this aura, <laughs> giving it haste and fire breathing. Gross. Yep. And then uh, one of my favorite new pieces of tech is Carnelian Orb of Dragonkind, a three-drop mana rock from Baldur's Gate. Uh, It just taps to add a red, no no big deal, but if that mana is spent on a dragon creature spell, it gains haste until end of turn. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so (laughs) ridiculously good. Yeah. So now... The the green one's not that bad either, honestly. Yeah, the the green one's in here too. Uh, I haven't gotten to play it yet, but it gives uh, a plus one, plus one counter and hexproof until your next turn. So you may not be able to get your tempo swing right now, but it guarantees that you aren't going to be stopped from doing it next turn. Yep. And then those just are such a huge boost to the deck. Uh, the haste one, especially, I really like from a consistency standpoint, because now in the first three turns, there's not three spells I need to cast to set up for turn four haste event mob, but only two. I need one other piece of ramp and this mana rock, and I am set. Right. I think I need to take a look at my vent mob deck. I, that was the problem. The last time I played it, the not having haste part was a problem. So I think I need to sort of 
revisit what I've got going on in that in that realm. Yep. Originally, I had like Goblin, Goblin Motivator and uh, Bloodlust Insider, like the one ones for one red that tap to give target creature haste, and mm-hmm. they've kind of gotten phased out just along with that idea of reduced dorks because reducing your vulnerability to board wipes. Right, exactly. Like, but for anyone building the deck for the first time that maybe doesn't have all these cards, like Carnelian Orb of Dragonkind was actually a little bit hard to find. So. For people that are just trying to throw a deck together, those one ones for one are still a fantastic way to get the deck off the ground because mm-hmm. they fit into your curve so easily in the early game. Yep. So, in addition to Ventmaw, who has such a massive tempo swing, we have a lot of other ways to use mana too. The second of which is, you guessed it, play big creatures. And <laughs> this deck. Wait, has... you're in a you're in a gruel deck and you're gonna play big creatures? What? <laughs> what? Yeah, we we have the cream of the crop. So Sky Snare Spider, recent downshift, absolutely beautiful. Six six vigilance reach and vigilance and reach for six. It's oh. defense, it's offense, it's everything. Right. New pet card. You might might see that in another deck. Sure. Um, then Annoyed Altasaur, Cascade Reach, Trample, six five for seven, Maelstrom Colossus, eight mana seven seven with Cascade. Like so we're also getting some card advantage here, helping us not run out of gas, but We'll get more of that later. You know, and I'm I'm sure. I mean, we have the most intelligent listeners of any podcast, I think. But oh, yeah. you know, I when I first put my vent mall deck together, it was like, cool. I'm in Gruel with this awesome commander. Of course, I'm just gonna jam all these awesome Gruel cards into my creature base. And then you look at it, and you're like, oh, uh, <laughs> annoyed annoyed out annoyed Altasaur costs one. Yep. You know, uh, Avenging Hunter is free, and you still have a mana left over. Like, all these yep. crazy things can happen in the second main phase of this deck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, Maelstrom Colossus and Ulamog's Crusher, are, and even the new Rust Goliath. I haven't gotten to play that one, but I'm excited about it. Like, a 10-10 Reach Trample for 10. Yeah. They're just the biggest threats in the format, and you can play them on turn 5. Mm-hmm. Or extremely cheap. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And then there's also a few beaters that give you a little flexibility, because they're also ramp like Elvish Aberration, so... A little yeah. bit of flexibility in the creature base, too, just so you can more consistently draw big creatures in the late game. Yep. And then the last way to use all your mana is repeatable abilities, kind of the original focus of this deck. Uh, there's not as much of it now because we have much larger threats that can end the game sooner, mm-hmm. but there's still stuff like Sprout Swarm generating tokens, there's Sporeback Troll giving you repeatable regeneration, Wild Heart Invoker giving you uh, combat buffs and trample, um, Validant Pack Outcast is this quiet all-star that I have murdered people with. Um, it's an old werewolf horror that transforms into an Eldrazi, hmm. and it ends up being a 5-7 with trample and fire breathing. And when you can pay... But it's like, not even fire-breathing. It's, <laughs> it's fire-breathing for colorless mana. Exactly. So you can put every <laughs> bit of Ventmaw's mana into it. So you can turn it into like a 15-7 trample pretty easily. Sure. Yeah. I see it. Like it's, it's an all-star. And this is the only deck I think it's ever really played in. But it's beautiful. Yeah, and I like... This really is a big mana deck. And I like the way you've where it's at now i like the current the version of it like playing against it it was like okay i'm gonna attack with vent mall i have six mana and it's like okay well you don't just have six you have all the land and all the ramp that's already on your board like exactly you're just doing these gigantic things every turn and that's exactly what girl wants to do yep and then great 
The last ability was just that anthem thing we mentioned earlier, Inner Flame Igniter. Creatures you control get plus one to Seertel in turn. If it's the third time it's happened, then they get first strike. So yep. little nod to where it used to be. It still is useful sometimes for bump for especially pumping Ventmaw, or like if your Ulamog's Crusher is attacking into a big board, giving it first strike can help it survive. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And that's all I got. Sorry, that was a long list. No, that's a good one. There, <laughs> it's there's almost a, like I have a lot of mana. There's a, yeah, it's almost like you have a lot of things to do with 15 mana every turn. It's weird. No. Uh, and it's cool because we just don't have that effect in Gruul. Like, even mono green decks, depending on the decks, can struggle to get regularly get 10 plus mana every turn. Right. Like, look right. at Svela. How long does it take Svela to get to 15 mana available? Right. All right, let's see here. I'll take the last spot. Um, all my mana is going to be earmarked for kind of kind of like uh, scarecrows, but not. <laughs> I'm not dropping them on turn five or whatever. Um, just giant creatures. All my beaters. Uh, Battery bear draws cards when I cast a giant artifact spell. So you know my mirror shell crabs and my pardic wanderers and my sojourners companions and lumigrid gargoyles all these creatures that are like limited bombs <laughs> or banned from 60 card popper i guess uh, are going to be really good in this deck and they're going to be as close to free as possible because of either an artifact i mean a, an affinity discount or my creatures are just casting them as almost like a convoke mechanic i'm not only using my creatures to cast more creatures I'm going to use this extra mana, like I mentioned earlier, to activate cards. Like, it doesn't say I can't use all this mana for my creatures on activated abilities, so I'm absolutely going to do that. Um, Finclade Fugitives is huge. Like, you can use the Encore effect for uh, five mana to bring back three tokens of it, seven, or, you know, one token for each opponent to seven, four that can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less like that causes a lot of trouble for a lot of people a lot of the times and i love it and especially if it's going to be free like if i can just tap a few creatures and bring it on board that's awesome in, in a lot of games i don't think i have any initiative or dungeons in this build but chances are it's going to show up in a game so uh things like secret door i'm going to put secret door in here and just jam mana into it every single turn like venture into the dungeon multiple times each turn just because i have so much mana on the board to do nothing with if i've got a steady stream of creatures and they're doing their thing and i've become pretty comfortable with where i'm at and i'll just venture through the dungeon a bunch more like that sounds fun to me and then i've the also that's that's some crazy value yeah right like just yeah just take the initiative from somebody or I guess I could find room in this deck to introduce it myself. And then, yeah, just a secret door for the win, basically. Um, I also do have one. I don't think I have any more than one, but I put Spectral Hunt Caller in here as well as a um, sort of anthem effect. Uh, for six mana creatures I control, get plus one, plus one, and gain trample to the end of turn, and that's repeatable. It's not a tap ability. So I know I don't want to be... There's sort of like a non-bow there where I don't want to tap a bunch of creatures to activate this and then only have one creature to attack with. Like, that doesn't yeah. seem fun. Uh, kind of so screams it, it wishes you had vigilance. Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. So that one's going to be a little tricky, so I didn't want to include... Like, I didn't want to go too heavy on that, but I think one is fine, you know, if I've got some tramplers or some flyers or something like that because I've also put in... Um, invokers as well i like frostwind invoker for eight mana all my creatures get flying i have Timora's. as i say it 
yeah, Timora's Invoker for eight mana. I draw two cards, and then I have Wild Heart Invoker. Target creature gets plus five, plus five, and trample to the end of turn for eight mana. And all these things are repeatable, and that's fine because because I plan on having all these, you know, a handful of mana rocks, all these. Uh, creatures on board that I don't want to lose in combat. I'd rather hold them back as mana dorks. And I've got lands to tap for mana. Like, all these things are going to happen, and I just... It's going to burn bright for a Simic deck, and it's probably going to burn out really fast. But that's okay, because it sounds fun to me. So basically, I'm just doing giant Simic stompy stuff with all this mana, and kind of hoping it works out, basically. I don't even think I slotted in much, if any, protection for my commander... Other than like a Gaia's Gift and a, a Counterspell or two. <laughs> so I'm really all in on just the giant creatures like um, Battery Bear and the, you know, Boulder Branch Golem and the Depth Charge Colossus. Like they were all in Brothers War together. They're all meant to sort of be played together in the same limited deck, if you will. So I that's my plan. About it, hmm? But uh, Depth Charge Colossus, that's the one with the untap ability, right? Yeah. Spin three to untap it. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so that can be paid for with the Power Stones also. Yeah, with Power Stones, with your, yeah, your creature Power Stones, all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, if you want to attack with a 9-9 and then don't worry about the crackback because you can just untap it basically. So. Or even like save your mana for something different and then if someone attacks you, use your mana dorks to untap it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I'm all about that life, you know, and because, oh, I guess that's for the next pillar, so I don't want to go into that now. But um, basically, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, um, like I said earlier, it's similar to uh, Thunderous Snapper. I'm just trying to get huge creatures on board for as cheap as possible. And if it's a creature that draws me a card or if it's re- if it's a creature with any other sort of value, um, I, even better, even better for me. So um, that's pretty much my plan. That's how I'm going to be dumping my mana. I, I, I envision this being a... Uh, tap out sort of ramp deck so I'm going to be shields down quite a bit quite often because I'll be tapping all my lands in the first handful of turns and then after those turns I'm going to be tapping all my lands and all my creatures for one reason or another so uh, it's going to be a very risky deck but I I wouldn't mind taking a couple spins around the the block just to see how it does what do you think is this um, heavy creatures I think I have 41 creatures in this current build of the list is that about where you where you guys would play this deck what do you think liam too many too too much too small not enough i i could not tell you what i would play this deck honestly i 41 might be it it was a trip it was hard to put together it was more challenging than i expected i guess it's been on my to brew list for a while and i keep going back and forth on whether i want to do like something token-esque yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, I've seen other people talk about the deck and some lists on Mockfield, and they leaned real heavy into the tokens. Yep. Yeah. Which I could totally see. I mean, green just loves to give tokens away, so. Hmm. I mean, you can't pay buyback costs. You Do we have... Like, I know we have a lot of commanders that have just not not tapping... Um, you cannot, pay, you cannot pay for buyback tokens. with the uh, Power Stones? Because it's an additional cost on a spell that's not an artifact. Oh, it's an additional cost. Yeah, it's the same reason you can't pay for commander tax with power stones, which is a real bummer. Ah, okay. So they worded it very specifically. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, this may be, you know, I may have uh, poached a handful of ideas for my Thunderous Snapper deck, so it's kind (laughs) of similar. 
but um, I, I like this added texture to it. This um, everything is a mana dork sort of like layer to the deck. So I'd like to. I'm pretty excited to see how it plays out. What I'm really curious about is how necessary that draw clause ends up being. Um, because, I don't think it's gonna be. Yeah, like I, the way it was building in my head was really focusing on the mana ability. Um, because when it first came out, a lot of people were very, very focused on, oh, there's not that many big artifacts that are worth playing, therefore this isn't a good commander. And I was like, well, hold up, there's a lot of really good abilities, let's just focus on the top part. So I think exactly. you're building it in the same direction I had in mind, but I think there is some potential for um, being a better late-game deck than Vemma, for example, because that second one gives you just a little bit of gas. Right. Sorry, I'm getting at it. No, you're totally good. Like, I have, um, in this current list, there's 14 spells that are mana value 6 or above. And a lot of those I can totally see just, like, randomly, like, casting because they're good. Like, Aether Snipe, I can evoke that and still get the trigger. That's fine. Um, Oh, but it has to be an artifact. Fact for the oh, you're right. Artifact, you're right. You're yeah. right. Yep, yep. I still have the uh, Thunder Snapper on my head. Um, but yeah, like Boulder <laughs> Branch Golem, mm, Death Charge okay. Colossus, Rust Goliath, that sort of thing. Um, Mirror Shell Crab. So uh, even like Thunder Steel Colossus, I threw that in here just because why not? Like oh, yeah. Trample Haze 7 7, sure. Which came first, Brothers War or Neon Dynasty? I don't remember. Neon Dynasty by a whole year. Yeah. Oh, quite a bit. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> I was just trying to remember like what sets have happened since, because I admittedly haven't looked at what that list of artifact things that can trigger it look like. So, brother, since yeah. it came out, Brothers War was depressingly like a year ago, in almost a month. Uh, after Brothers War, it was All We Won, followed by Much the Machine, Lord of the Rings, Commander Masters. So, of okay. those, Eldrin. of those fourteen. Of those 14 spells of mana value 6 or greater, 10 of those are artifacts. That's still really so good. I'll take it. Like I'm not trying yeah. to lean too hard into uh, Bearer's second line of text, but I yeah. feel like it'll come up enough to where it's going to be really nice. Like um, A 4-4 four, four that can trips and can also tap for mana seems really good. Right. For, like Accomplished Automaton is a 7-mana 5-7 that can give you an extra body. Like That's just brings along a mana dork in my eyes yeah so, yeah should be interesting should be fun all right i think we're about halfway through uh liam how are you gonna not die with your mono green tokens yeah so mono green tokens not dying is a little strange <laughs> ideally we are still a stompy deck uh kill them faster with the stomps uh kill them faster with your tokens kill them faster with your big beaters you've got a bunch of five and six mana dudes that are just they come down as five fives and six sixes they've got keywords hopefully we're killing them faster with that if you can't kill them faster uh then a few well-timed bite or arrow spells are good to remove key threats or blockers so bite spells being where your creature deals damage to theirs but theirs doesn't deal damage back uh and arrow spells being the things that take down artifacts enchantments or flyers uh i I think that flyers are always a problem for token decks for sure. And, and for mono green decks and removing true using those spells to take down those key threats to you or the key blockers that get in the way of your stuff. 
is a is a great way in mono green to not die. Uh, also, you have a few protection spells that could be used to protect your key threats or blockers, because nothing stops mono green stompy faster than having no creatures. So, protecting <laughs> your creatures will keep you from not dying. Yes, and yeah, absolutely. Uh, and in addition, there is a little bit of life gain that was mentioned earlier. In it was Plan C that buys you a little bit of time. Not a whole lot in the deck, but a couple of spells that do gain you four to six life at a time. Uh, that are t- spells, uh, creatures that enter the battlefield. I guess they are spells that will gain you four to six life at a time. That can be very beneficial to keeping your life total aloft. Sure. Yeah, I have found it took me a long time to accept the fact that my herd Bailoth deck needed some sort of life gain because it's the <laughs> same way. It just takes mm-hmm. takes a long time to get going. Uh, surprisingly, four four tokens are vulnerable to stuff. Um, so yeah, just just to make it into that late game where I could get stuff going, I needed some sort of life gain. So the one game I played against Ovia at Vegas, the life gain actually won them the game. They had lethal coming at them, if I remember correctly, and they used the two life from Tamiyo's safekeeping to stay alive, and then played one of the ETB life gain creatures the next turn, gaining like another six life, and that was enough to where they couldn't be killed in one. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and nowadays just green has all these ways to like randomly make food tokens and... Yeah, there's always at least one green creature in every standard set that ETBs and you gain four life or like, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, like Herd Gorger Giant, I think, is uh, another one of those six drop life gain creatures. Right. Like there's a bunch that are like three or four. Now, was this the um, was this the list that you gave away at at Vegas that Liam's talking about today? Well, um, I. I don't know if he's linking mine or a combination of mine and his. Um, I, I just lifted yours. Oh, okay, yeah. Because I need to know... I don't want to make this like a whole deck tech episode now, but <laughs> I need to know about the stickers in this deck. Oh, uh, there's just two standalone cards, Finishing Move and Stilt Strider, that can put a sticker on something. Um, and the idea, part of the idea, is it's an additional... Um, it's an additional trample source for the big construct tokens. Oh, so the the trample sticker. Oh, and there's a lifelink lifelink sticker. Yeah, I I okay. was content to leave the stickers out of it, but Brad just had to bring them up. <laughs> I just I I don't know. Like I have all three of our decks open in different windows, and I don't know how I didn't notice it. I thought just... I thought that little bottom the bottom section of cards where it says other. I thought it said sideboard until I looked over there, and I'm like, wait a second. So you Wait could also second. do things like put one of the power and toughness stickers on Ovia. So now she's a like if you replay her for three, she comes back as I don't know a four four three right three that's four, what I was looking like at that. too. That's a yep. little harder to kill. Sure, but I the main reason is trample and lifelink. Solid, yeah, cool. And that's kind of why the life gain creatures fit in as well because they don't have trample, but that's fine because we have a bunch of other trample sources in the deck for mm-hmm. the big construct tokens. Yeah. And you've also got like Fanger and Marauder because everybody has treasures <laughs> nowadays, treasures and food and clues and, and blood. And and you're making threatening artifacts that other people want to blow. That's true. Yeah. You are making artifact creature tokens. That's something to uh, to be aware of. Yep. yep, they are. They are artifacts. It's like TPI. It's secret. Yeah, it is. Mono green TPI. Oh, slow and green. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, how is Savage Vent Mom not dying? 
Um, so going back to the tempo idea, um, I mentioned it's not just getting faster, but there's also some unpredictability. So I'm definitely on the kill them first game plan, but it's very important to make it a surprise because there's a lot of decks where you can kind of tell when they're going to kill you and it makes you try to kill them first or like have a removal ready instead of developing your board. So Ventmaw is very much on the I'm going to kill you and you don't see it coming until I'm in my combat step yeah. uh, game plan. So there's a bunch of combat buffs like we already mentioned a uh, wild heart invoker but there's also a like a blood rush creature Zertos swine gives plus five plus four by discarding it and paying three yep there's sure does <laughs> oliphant which you can mountain cycle which is great but it all when it attacks it gives target creature you control plus two plus zero and trample until end of turn um balduvian rage is just a fireball oh my god it, balduvian rage it, is ridiculous in this deck yeah so that's what i was trying to use on you so when we played at Vegas, I tried to merc Brad like turn six, I think. It was so, early. I did like well, like you said, I didn't expect it. Like yeah, I knew you had Ventmaw, obviously Ventmaw was there, was and I the knew first, you had untapped lands, but it, it still was the first came time out I of nowhere. It. Yeah. It was the first time I attacked with it, and I put thirteen mana into Balduvian Rage, so X equals twelve, giving Ventmaw plus twelve plus zero until end of turn. With his four base power, that is one shot lethal. Yep. And then and then North Dakota fogged for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, North. And then, yeah, in addition to the pump spells, there's also like Timber Battle Rage, Psychotic Fury, and Uncaged Fury to give double strike. So yeah. the the four power on Ventmaw is really a nice number because it's four combats to kill. And it's relatively common to like... Yeah, I'm just swinging with that mom, spreading it around. Oh, I've hit you twice now. You have eight commander damage. It's okay. You have two turns left, and it has double strike, and you're dead. Right. So they're yeah, just they out can of be nowhere. Standalone, or they can combo with the other power toughness boosts. Yeah. Um, I, so go, go ahead. No, oh, I I like that you've what you're saying in this particular pillar, but I also like that in addition to that pillar of killing them first, you've got all these, you've got 40 gigantic creatures in this deck. Like <laughs> you, you have no shortage of bodies and board state. It just threats throughout the deck up and down, which makes you, this deck in particular hard to deal with. So during our game, do you remember towards the end, I had Ulamog's Crusher out and it made literally everyone incapable of leaving me alone because they didn't know where it was going next Oh, turn. yeah, for sure. So the creatures is a kind of double-edged sword where, it sure, it, you have amazing offensive power, but it also guarantees that there is a lot of negative attention coming your way. And that's a big part of why the surprises are so important. Yeah. Um, like the first time I played this deck against Alk, I killed him with the double strike trick and killed someone else with a fireball the same turn. Like <laughs> being able to do that to where you suddenly have a third, like half as much crackback potential is a big part of how this deck successfully closes out games. Mm -hmm. Getting around the, I have big scary creatures, everyone's teaming up against me problem. Right. And then another, uh, since I said fireballs, uh, that's another way I do it. I've got four X spells 
or five if you include Baldivian Rage, but I've got four that don't need to be in combat. I've got Lava Burst, Rolling Thunder, Fireball, and Caravix Torch. Those can all act as removal, uh, or they can go straight to face for like X equals 15. It's yeah, pretty fantastic. Out of nowhere. It's crazy that a deck can swing with a 4-4 flying commander on turn five and also fireball you for 12 plus. Like in the same turn. <laughs> Why not? It's crazy. It's crazy. I don't know. It it's should. Fine. That's how there, it should there's, be. There's not a problem here. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. And then similar to Liam, I've got just a smattering of removal mixed in and protection. I've got like two protection spells. I've got Vines of Basswood and Tameo's Safekeeping. And mm-hmm. then what I focused on more was enchantment removal because it's flexible and that can be offensive or defensive. Um, it can get rid of a combo piece or I can uh, get a lockdown or a oubliette off stuff like that off of Ventma. So I've got Broken Wings, Shower of Arrows, Ripper Buff, Elder, Unstable Obelisk. Uh, so some of that's using more mana and developing a board presence or also being ramp. And some of it's just like flexible modal, sp- modal spells. Sure. Uh, just a little bit. So the the Broken Wings and Shower of Arrows I'm a huge fan of in decks like this because when you get to the end game and everyone's kind of evaluating the combat logic, a lot of times flyers are part of it, especially when you've got like a big board presence on the ground. Mm-hmm. So that destroy creature with flying ends up being incredibly valuable as a surprise in late game combat damage calculus that people are doing. Oh, for and sure. It can yeah. Easily tilt the last turn in your favor. Yeah, Shower of Arrows is one of the better ones that come out recently. I'm a huge fan of that card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's all I got. Yeah, right on. Uh, my my Pillar 3 is actually really simple. I, I'm not doing anything crazy here, and I think this is the third time I've said it. I'm just doing Giant Simic Stompy. So it's funny that we're, we're talking about gigantic mana decks here and big mana and what we're going to do with all this mana, 100 mana on turn 5, yada, yada, yada. And all three of our answers are t- how to not die <laughs> is to kill the opponents first. <laughs> that's uh, Honestly, that's just I mean, the aggro way, though. It, it must be. Like, I've never considered big mana being aggro, but here we are. I think it's also kind of an expression of enjoying what isn't possible elsewhere and those creatures are what is really difficult to play effectively in any other archetype. So that's they true. Thrive here and we are reveling in it. I think that's why I love my thunderous snapper deck so much because there are, I would bet more than a dozen creatures in that deck that I literally don't or can't play in any other deck, but they're awesome in there. And I love it. Like it gives me a chance to play them, gives me a chance to do the thing. It's great. Yep. Yep. For me, it's also very uh, reminiscent of my first 10 years playing Magic as an unrepentant kitchen table casual Tim. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Big mana was the way to go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's it. That's, that's it for me. Big Simic Stompy. The only real way to not die is to kill them first. And if worse comes to worse, I have two counter spells <laughs> to uh, literally last resort sort of thing. But other than that, I'm just trying to... Because I, I also have I have 41 creatures in this deck. A couple of them are cheap. Most of them are expensive. So I plan on just ramping out all the time and just seeing what happens. And I have because I'm in Simic, I have a good mix of uh, flyers, a good mix of ground creatures. Uh, one that I don't think I included that I may want to rethink is... Um, Wretched Griff, which is all goes in most of my Simic decks. I know it's not an artifact, but it's still one of my favorite cards. And 
That's and you really... can always sacrifice something that has an aura on it too. Yeah, you can sacrifice something. Um, I've got a couple protection spells like uh, Tameo Safekeeping and Gaia's Gift. That's really it, and that is just to protect either uh, Death Charge Colossus with with Trample on it or something, you know, and um, not so much to protect the commander. I'm just not super worried about having to spend extra mana the next turn on something. Like, it's not a huge deal to me. Uh, I was more concerned about, like, hey, here's 32 damage coming at you. What do you want to do about it? You know, whatever. Pass priority. Uh, that's sort of what I'm interested in here while drawing cards and just sort of kicking back and just, like, playing big big Timmy stuff. And I'm, I'm cool with that. That's how I looked at this deck here. So, uh, it started out simple, but I rambled on. My 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 not dying here is to kill everyone first, <laughs> I mean, or or as fast think, as possible. <laughs> I think forty one creatures. There's also something to be said for blockers for days, especially with the additional draw power you have. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I'm. That's what I meant. Like I can just cast them and just sort of sit back, let the table do what they're doing, and wait for it to be my turn again. <laughs> so. I also wonder if the blue player stereotype of always fearing the counter magic could be used to bluff really effectively with this deck too. Oh, I bet it could. I bet it totally could. Because you could use your, you know, use your creatures to cast your artifact creatures or artifact spells, because I do have like some mana rocks or whatever in here, and just leave your islands untapped. Because you don't need them. Yep. You know, the one I, time I, you draw your counter spell, you use it effectively, and then they'll be playing around it for the next three games. For the next three games, yep. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't know how many you got in there. Yep, one hundred percent. Just, just the one. All just right. the regular counter spell. Yeah, just the regular counter spell. Yep. All right. Fourth and final pillar, Liam. Mono green struggles. He runs out of gas a lot. How are we going to avoid that? Yeah. So, Ovia is the payoff. Right, so so not the enabler. Ideally, we just keep pumping mana into her every turn, or maybe a few times each turn, because we got some creatures that will untap other creatures. Uh, so ideally, we just have the gas in the command zone. If she does get removed a lot, or the she she gets unreasonably expensive, we have some of the built-in life gain that I mentioned to buy us a few of the crackbacks to keep our pedal to the metal. You know, the the not running out of gas is kind of blending here with the how to not die. Uh, everything that's in these yeah. two pillows is kind of doing double duty. Uh, and then in addition, we do have a, a very small smattering of, of card draw ETB creatures and cyclers that do allow us to maintain a tiny bit of like extra card draw, extra card velocity, but it's not mm-hmm. too much. Yeah, Mono Green just doesn't have that many choices, but I think this is a good deck for it because like you said... And that applies to a lot of mono green decks in that the 99 has to do a lot of double duty. Like they have to try to be value creatures and mana dorks or value creatures and good attackers. Like sometimes and that just doesn't work out. But I think in a deck like this, it totally can because even if you're starting to run low or you're stuck on three lands in your hand or whatever, like you just make creatures in your command zone. Just that's fine just pump them out like a creature a turn that's yeah. totally fine um, unfortunately all the uh, mono green card draw i've gotten in recent years is rare <laughs> yeah none of I it's know. common <laughs> <laughs> so it makes stuff a little awkward yeah. when when i'm i'm talking to edh players like yeah so how how good is mono green and you're just like i hope you Ooh. like stompy <laughs> yeah i hope yep. you like a bunch of creatures yeah, yeah. all those As... all those harmonizes and guardian projects they don't have them 
Don't have them. They don't exist. As a mono green lover, it really does feel like green is the it's the color that is the hardest up in PDH in general, in terms of multicolor decks anyway. Like white is so good as a support color, even if it has some issues as a mono color. But green has a lot of the same issues as a mono color and doesn't have as much to contribute in supporting other colors other than like if it's with red it can provide all the hexproof and indestructible spells. Yeah, I mean green green support yep. often looks like ramp. Yep. Yeah, ramp that, and some protection. Yeah, yep. that's about it. <laughs> yep, ramp, a uh, little bit of ramp, a little bit of protection, yeah. and Llanowar Visionary. Gives gives decent <laughs> protection. Some of the mobile spells. Gives decent yeah. protection with the uh, the red, black, and blue decks, but when it pairs with white, you're just going to use white protection. Right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So it sounds like, uh, actually, I like the sound of the Ovia deck for Pillar 4 than I do most mono green decks because a lot of them are just they care about your creatures and not so much uh, having a mana sink, yep. you know, like Halana is really good, but you have to have creatures in your hand to cast. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Um, where Ovia is just like, cool. You don't want, you don't have anything else to do. Like I'll make you a 12, 12. Yeah. Do yeah. you want a 12, 12? It's cool. I'll make one right here, right now. Like, let's go. When, when you mentioned that, I'm reminded of um, Derek, his, what's the strobe night? Xerix strobe night? Xerix. Yeah. Um, so that's his twiddle commander, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So playing against it, it's really easy to see him like staying kind of at a consistently high hand size and consistently pumping out these tokens. And then you disrupt his twiddles like once, maybe twice. And suddenly his hand is shown to be mostly land that he accumulated as he was cantripping over time. Yep. And doesn't have the spells to consistently trigger it anymore. And he can't produce that endless slew of tutus anymore there's a lot of decks out there that from the outside looking like at sitting at the table they look like they just go and go and go but end up being a little bit fragile in they suddenly don't have the the velocity anymore and it feels like when you have an outlet in the command zone like this it's a lot harder to turn off it's much more resilient yeah because you can just dump dump your man into it like every turn turn after turn yeah. And like we said earlier, removing yeah. her doesn't really do anything. You're bound to run out of removal before she runs out of mana. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. All right, I guess the next step up from uh, how does Mono Green not run out of gas is how does Gruul not run out of gas? Uh, well, you mentioned the creature game plan, and that's where it starts. I mean, I've got the... Liam mentioned that there hasn't been a whole lot of card draw. We've got a few that can trip mm-hmm. or creatures that carry additional value, um, like uh, Silverback Shaman and Landwar Visionary or like Voracious Typhon, you can play it from the grave. This isn't really yeah. a graveyard deck, but you can sure. still get like enough to play it once, maybe twice. So that's still extra value that you can get just one time. So smattering of that, uh, that's the stuff that you're likely to see earliest in the game, uh, just as things are played out to the board. Next, you might see some repeating abilities come out in the form of triggered abilities. So Snake Umbra for draw, Avenging Hunter for initiative shenanigans, yeah. uh, Warbeast of Gargaroth, if a creature you control with power four or greater dies, a mass works two. 
and it's a 5-4 for 5. So if it dies, or if Savage Ventmaw dies, or if your Ulamog's Crusher or Ruskoliath dies, you get a 2-2. And then if something else dies, oh, that 2-2 became a 4-4. Four, four. And right. with the number of beaters this puts out, in my head, if Warbeast of Gorgoroth doesn't die, it's probably making at least a 4-4 four, four or 6-6. Six, six, yeah, and that's worth it. I mean, that's definitely yeah, worth a card, I think. It's a whole nother beater. So you basically just got 9 power for 5 mana. <laughs> Seems yeah. fair. See, it seems fair. <laughs> yeah, Tavern Brawler is amazing for every red deck. Oh, so... it certainly is. <laughs> yeah, and it boosts Ventmaw's power. Yeah, I wonder what that could be good Do, for. I've oh, been, weird. I I've been using Tavern Brawler so much in PDH that I've got my EDH playgroup using it. It's, it's so it's good. Really like, good yeah, it's so good. And with partners, it's even more. Yeah, just, just insane. Yeah. Like, that's what killed me at R.I.W. was uh, Tavern Brawler triggering on two commanders on Kedis and Malcolm. Oh, yeah. Oh, so gross. Dumb. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Get, get those extra cards. Yep. Yeah, yep. I play it in, a, well, most of my red decks, but I play it in Shadowfax and Mr. Orfeo, and it just does so much work. Like, yep. Yep. so much work. It's crazy. Yep. And then the last category of cards that we really don't have that much at of in Gruul, but the few we have fit perfectly here mm -hmm. is repeatable card draw for like Bonders Ornament, Brightwood Tracker, and Deepwood Denison. Those are, if you are in fear of a long game, those are some of the best cards you can find in your opening hand. Oh, for Just sure. Yep. Pay mana, draw a card. That's not something you get a lot in these colors. No, it is not. We do not have that effect a whole lot, and it comes in very handy. I can. I think there's maybe been twice where Ventmaw has truly been hellbent uh, for more than a turn, but if you have those, it's never going to happen. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So pretty straightforward. I think I'd, I'd like that you were able to jam giant creatures, and they're not just giant. Like, like you said, they're giant value creatures. Mm -hmm. You know, and like that's really been like a fire. Uh, fire design thing for sure a lot of mm -hmm. the creatures in this deck have been continuously rotating for the last what five five years now i believe it because we've been getting so much improvement in the card quality of our of our beaters yep yeah like you're like you talked about your your oh, i just had it your your oliphants and your mm -hmm. generous ints and all this stuff that just like etbs and oh makes you food for some reason or buffs a creature like there's you know you don't and i think that's where you sort of honed in and like you hit the you hit the nail on the head with this deck is you weren't scouring the format scouring the history of magic to find red and green spells that drew cards they didn't say draw a card you were just looking for additional effects additional value like when you cast two or three big creatures that have good etb values that's like drawing a card that's like drawing a card and a half like it'll get you there it may not put cards directly in your hand but it will get you there yeah and i think that's what you were able to identify with this deck and i like i like that a lot mm -hmm. just an example of what's gotten cut and replaced with creatures over the year is broken fall kind of going back to the history of magic thing that used to be in here because you keep replaying a three mana enchantment over and over for protection and that's a lot of mana over time. Yeah. Uh, so the big mana thing helps with it, but also it was important for protecting Ventmaw when if it's the scariest thing at the table. Mm -hmm. But with the 
tempo that you can have when you get all these other beaters in play, protecting any one threat stops mattering quite as much and you almost just want another threat to play. So maybe maybe Broken Fall comes back eventually, uh, but right now I'm really enjoying the way I've got this deck in a more aggressive tilt. Yeah, and even like, um, yeah, it's definitely tilted aggressively because uh, even i was looking through and even a card like owlbear seems a little grindy mm, for your for this deck it. it yeah but i just don't it owlbear is tricky man it always feels yep. it always ends up playing a lot slower than it looks like awesome That's... four four trample draws me a card and you cast it and you're like no now do something like you're not doing anything yep. like you put a card in my hand but i'm still attacking for two damage with my commander or whatever like yep. And Silverback Shaman is a huge pet card of mine because, mm-hmm. like, before Fire Design had its had had its name announced, I wrote an article identifying that trend. So, uh, I was declaring New World Order is over and looking <laughs> at cards like Silverback Shaman as a massive improvement to common card quality. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not anything super amazing now, but I have it so heavily associated with that was my entry into the home base team. Sure. So it's super nostalgic for me. And even that's just barely making it into this. Yeah, that's but fair. I, yeah, I really like the five, four for five with trample. Yeah, and absolutely. Dies, I draw a card and yeah. dying is pretty common for a combat threat in this, in this format. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in a giant creature gruel deck. They're going to die. Yep. They're going to die a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's not like 60 card popper where there's a lot of removal being aimed just at you. There's right. other things that are the non kill removal is aimed at. That's more important. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, move on to Simic here for Pillar 4. Basically, kind of like Liam, kind of like most Simic decks, I assume, in PDH, the gas is in my command zone. Um, but if or when Battery Bear gets too expensive, I, I just got the um, I got the diesel in the 99. I got Meeting of Minds, Behold the Multiverse, Thought Cast. Like, I've got really good draw spells that don't care if the commander's on board or not they'll help me draw into more ramp um because basically without battery bearer on on the table on the battlefield none of my creatures tap for mana like that's just not something they're gonna do without her being present so i need to draw into more ramp or more threats or more uh cheap affinity creatures to keep the pressure on while i build up to being able to recast uh, the battery bearer um, some minor forms of gas would be cards that pay me off for casting artifacts like uh, Ethereum Sculptor, Golem Foundry, Ethereum Spinner even. Anything that I would love to have on the board alongside Battery Bearer. But if my commander is stuck in the command zone, they still are very good cost reducers. Or they, they'll create a Thopter every time I cast something large, which is what my deck already wants to do. Um, Golem Foundry will make me extra to- or extra artifact creatures when I cast artifacts, which is something I want to do. So I tried to fill the 99 with ways that they can sort of function on their own without being reliant on the commander so heavily, so specifically. And maybe it's one of those things where I only bring Battery Bearer out twice a game or once a game. You know, maybe I don't try to keep it on board every single turn. Um, it's just going to kind of depend on how it ends up playing out. But I definitely wanted to create the deck in such a way that it could function at least at 75 to 80% of what it's supposed to do if Battery Bear is just exiled forever or stuck oubliated or stuck in the command zone or something. I can't end up paying for it. Like, I wanted. I mean, to... 
if I see Battery Bearer across the table, I, I'm not sure that it would be, like, at the top of my removal list. It's a chunky creature. It's a 3-4, so it's not falling to board wipes hardly ever. And then it you're producing combat threats that seem like they would take a lot of the removal pressure off. That's what I'm kind of hoping. Like, similar to... I've probably said it a million times, but similar to Thunderous Snapper, whenever mm -hmm. I play that deck, whenever it's actually doing the thing it's supposed to do, the removal gets targeted at the creatures on the board and not Thunderous Snapper. So, and I feel like this is kind of the same way, like what you were just talking about. Like, sure, Bearer is the is the engine is the payoff is the uh, whole effect of the deck but that cast down is probably going to be targeting the maelstrom colossus you know or whatever the annoyed altasaur like it's not going to be hitting this little three four that turns my creatures into mana dorks like they probably don't care about that too much i kind of like that you've stuck with the draw two cards like i could feel myself being tempted towards stuff like um lorian revealed just for the flexibility, but that sure. five cost when you, your power stone ramp can't help with it would still be pretty dang steep. So I like that you've stuck with the mid mid range uh, draw spells. Yeah, I I did actually. That was one of the things I actually put some thought into. Like if I wanted to, how how heavily I wanted to go into these draw spells, and I like behold the multiverse because they can be the foretell can be paid for. Uh, I like meeting of minds because my creatures can pay for them in a pinch. Like, yeah, you're right. I just didn't want to overextend on draw spells. I like deep analysis because it's got flashback. Like, it's just a really good card. And I didn't want to have to overextend. Thought cast theoretically is basically free, you know, or a single blue. Like, um, yeah, I just didn't want to have to overextend with these draw spells. I wanted them to be easy and efficient. And I think those are some of the better ones we have in the format. Is Reverse Engineer in there? That's the only draw three that I was scratching my head over. It's um, five mana, three and two blue, sorcery, improvised, draw three cards. Uh, just was downshifted in Commander Masters. It was I just, just downshifted. No. I, I had to scryfall it to get the name. <laughs> completely forgot about it. I'm going to put that in the, uh, at least in the considering, so I don't... That's, that's probably a good one. I, I feel like I've got enough artifacts that i can improvise it out and draw three is good <laughs> so yeah we'll see i mean it's definitely like, worth considering since it can like almost be even if it costs three that's fine three mm -hmm. for three cards is totally fine feels like one of those things where you really need to test to see if you actually need the card draw could go either way yeah absolutely because there's a whole stack of things like where are we at here there's things that i'm considering like uh, renowned weaponsmith that adds mana. Apprentice wizard oh, yeah. adds mana. Like all these different, you know, bonders ornament even stuff like that, or uh, extra cards, card draw. You know, if I wanted to put the monarch in here, something like fall from favor or the as your fleet admiral, just any anything like that. But those, there's no shortage of spells that look good in a simic deck. So I think I'm just going to have to stick with the list I have now and test it out and mm -hmm. see see where the flaws or where the weak points are and then go from there. Like, if you try to build the perfect Simic deck, you'll end up with a 600-card deck and it's just all the best <laughs> cards, you know? Like, you can't cut anything. So um, I think I just have to play it out and see where we, where we end up landing. I feel like that's a really important skill for a brewer to have is not trying to get it perfect the first time and making notes of this is what I'm looking for when I test it the first time. Yeah, and that's 
that is some self-reflection that takes some practice. Like mm-hmm. it was easy in 60 card popper to like make a brew and then play a handful of games and be like, okay, this is where it's weak. I'm going to, I'm going to fix that right now. Whereas like when I first got into PDH really heavily and I brewed a couple decks, like I would take a brew or, you know, take this build to a spell table or whatever. And I would lose to, I don't know, some random enchantment that I never heard of. I would just lose the game because it locked me out or whatever, locked my commander out or locked my big beater out or whatever. So like, because of my one V one mindset at the time, I was like, well, I need, 10 enchantment hate cards <laughs> and I would throw you need those your in. silver bullets in the side yeah I need all these silver bullets so I threw those into the next deck and then like two games later I'm like I didn't even need to cast any of these because there was no enchantments like the, yeah. there's a very fine line to like understand where the weak points are and what you're actually trying to accomplish with your deck I feel like that's kind of, that's leading into a point that has been on my mind a lot with the competitive community recently uh, mm-hmm. coming out of riw and uh, riches to rags there's been so many quote non-competitive end quote decks um, that are don't fit the model of the online meta yep. that have done well enough but also there's some that haven't and there's been a lot of discourse about uh wanting to not have the less competitive decks in online games like oh i need to take this game seriously because it's tournament prep well those (laughs) are going to be in tournament prep um but the i shoot i'm losing the thread oh no (laughs) (laughs) oh i'll remember it at nine tonight yeah just send me a message Well, those are some pretty good pillars, I think. How are you guys? Uh, you guys pretty happy with how they turned out, or because I know a lot of times on these three by threes, they are decks. Maybe about half the time they end up being a deck that I put together just for the episode, and the other half or a deck that I will actually play. Like this one actually seems kind of fun. I know it's similar to my Thunderous Snapper deck, but I think it's just different enough. I want to see how it actually plays out in real life. Like I can theorize that I'll have. 15 creatures on board and tapping for mana and doing whatever I want literally all the time. But I know that's not how it's going to play out. So I'm actually pretty, uh, pretty interested to see how it, how it plays out. And I know Ventmall, clearly you just, you've wrecked faces with that deck already. So I know that's a very successful deck and I like the, um, I like the avenues you've taken it down already. And I know you're constantly working on it too. So it's always evolving. So I like that you have, you're keeping an eye out for any, any new additions, any new creatures, that sort of thing. Liam. I mean, realistically, yeah, go realistically, ahead. I I only change my decks in paper like once every six months or so. It, sure, I'm I'm not like Alk. I'm not that consistent. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. I feel like Vent Mall for you is one of those decks that's when you see oh, yeah. when you see new red and green cards, that's the first deck you think of. You're like, does this help Vent Mall? <laughs> no. Does this help Vent Mall? No. Okay. <laughs> I've got like two decks like that for different colors and they're always the first one. Like, is this good at Venthara? No. And usually 99% of the time the answer is no, but it's always the first one I go to. So, uh, what about you, Liam? Are you interested in another mono green deck? I know you just built Goreclaw, but, uh, what do you think of Ovia? I don't know about Ovia. It seems all right. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a reason that like when I had absolutely nothing else to do, I started a list, put 10 cards in it and then forgot about it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
That's well, fair. I've done that plenty reason, of times. The reason I put together OVO was because whenever everyone was doing the Oh My God Commander Masters downshifts videos, uh-huh. the pals were the only ones that liked Ovia and Lashiel. And I thought they looked really interesting, so I took it personally that no one else did. So <laughs> there was maybe a, a little build. You built it out of spite bit, for the community. Just a <laughs> <laughs> I'll show them. That's right. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, no, I like the look of it. I like the look of Ovia. I feel, I have the worry that it's sort of linear, like it's sort of going to play out the same way every single time. Um, and. The- but I don't so, know. Maybe it won't. I, I I don't play a ton of mono green other than herd Bayloth, So the one the one game against it, the person actually Voltroned up Ovia with Rancor and something else. I forget what the other thing on it was, but it was just like a five power commander damage threat wow. that actually got they got one person in range where if they attacked them successfully one more time they died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. What is Cosmic Hunger? Just another Oh, it's a fight spell. spell. Huh. Oh, no, it's a... Oh, it's a bite. It's not even a fight. Nice. Yeah, and I think any deck that... I... Hmm, let me look in here. I thought about putting Sprout Swarm into Battery Bearer, but I'm not I'm not sure. What do you think there? I, I do like it in Ovira, and I like it in a lot of decks, actually. I just don't know. It would probably work well in... Battery bearer, I just don't know if it's worth a slot or not. Because like you said, the would... the buyback can't be bought with Power Stone mana, basically, right? Well, that doesn't matter, though, because it has Convoke. Which one am I thinking of? No, Sprout Swarm has Convoke. You had it, right? Oh, okay. Sprout. Convoke and buyback. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're just thinking of the artifact side. Well, it basically has that already on its base form, so it still works well. To me, whether you use Sprout Swarm in that deck depends on how much you want to be playing at instant speed. You said you wanted to be a tap-out deck, so maybe, maybe not. That's true. But yeah. if you end up adding like even a handful of instants, Sprout Swarm seems like it's worth considering. Because once you get enough creatures, then it snowballs. You just need the mana available to get like the first two or three tokens out to help your creatures get the tokens out. Yeah, exactly. Like, I have all the gas, I just need the match. Yeah, and yeah. if you're holding up, like, one counter spell and then don't need it, bam, token, next right. turn. Still holding up that counter spell, another two tokens. Yeah, that that's true. If I'm, if I'm trying to play, like, a tap-out Simic Beater's deck, I probably don't need Sprout Swarm, because it's, Sprout Swarm's at its best when you're casting it during an opponent's combat step or end of turn or what have you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that makes total sense. Oh, all right. Cool, cool, cool. Do you guys have anything else you want to add before we get on out of here? Um, just one thing I forgot in my Vegas highlights. Yes. Brad, your altars are amazing, and they <laughs> deserve more attention. And everyone I showed them to this weekend uh, thought they were amazing. So Brad I appreciate altered that. two of my favorite commanders, Maverick Thopterist and Viscopa Guildmage, in his tuxedo uh, style. And they're absolutely beautiful. Well, I appreciate that. They did turn out pretty good, I think. Yeah, I like them. 
it always like I need it's probably just because you know like see the forest for the trees sort of thing like I always need a separation from my altars to be able to like look at them again and be like oh, okay that was actually good I didn't mess it up I was just staring at it for too long too close like because by the time mm-hmm. I had I had packed them up and by the time I gave them to you when I pulled them out to give them to you at Vegas they actually looked good you know like I thought they looked good mm-hmm. so oh yeah they look fantastic I mean I think it's also um, one of the things my wife likes to say sometimes is comparison is the thief of joy Mm. and it is sure, so true like, so true and in this case i think it's you comparing what you did to the idea in your head whereas no one else has those what ifs and potentials to compare to all we see is the finished product which is absolutely beautiful i need to like write that down because that is constantly that's like how i live <laughs> <laughs> why do you think my wife says it so much it's right an issue for her too no and that's she does that's really good yeah. All right. I think we're going to move on out of here for the week, but uh, we need to talk about a few more things as usual. If you need uh, more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can always follow us on Instagram, X slash Twitter. We are the PDH Pod, and you can email the show at the PDH Pod at gmail.com, or you can head on over to the PDH Homebase's website. You'll find their Discord server there, and we're always in there chatting up decks, and, and uh, you can find us right on there. Or, um, patreon as i mentioned earlier patreon.com slash the pdh pod you can find us there as well uh you can find liam and i on twitter at popper command and popper underscore b respectively and then uh as soon as dave gets back you can find him everywhere else pdh is being talked about but you can also find scarecrow everywhere else as well uh what are some links where can the people find you paul uh so i'm on reddit if you are ever on the popper commander subreddit you can just look over at the mods in the sidebar that's me uh scarecrow 1779 i'm also on discord and twitter with the same handle uh and instagram but i don't do anything there right (laughs) yeah and you're like uh you're scarecrow everywhere right yep yeah consistent across the board since like 2010 i started that name for starcraft 2 nice haven't looked back Awesome. Well, I will put uh, all the links down in the show details. Make sure you check them out. But uh, yeah, as uh, episode 67 of the PDH pod comes to a close, we want to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck, make that mana boy, and we'll see you in about a week. Say bye, everybody. (laughs) Cheers. Bye, everybody. Peace. I'll see you. Got him. <laughs> I brought proper text at the party. Pop. I brought proper text at the party.